you're about to enjoy a free episode of The Dull Crayons. To support the show and earn cool rewards, stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dullcrayons. When we hit 25 supporters, we will release the second set of Llama Llama Red Pajama Freestyles by yours truly and BX Tony, and you know you want to hear those. You can also support us by throwing us some star magic and writing a review on iTunes. And as always, stay dull, carry snacks. Good morning, boys and girls. Today, we'll be learning all about... Dull crayons. I am your loyal host, Gabriel Zuger, and coming to you live today uh, from our new Thanksgiving home. This is uh, the the Martha's Vineyard record, uh, and I'm recording with none other than a longtime fan of the pod and a longtime father-in-law, Eric Danger. Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm so glad to have you here. This this has been a long time coming. Uh, it's been too long. I think we've always known that it would come to this. Um, Feel it. <laughs> this is this is as close as it's going to get to literally sitting at the Thanksgiving Day table with us, um, in in all its glory. Um, and uh, I thought that uh, today we would start off with. Uh, what I hope will become a new tradition, uh, not just on Thanksgiving, but also on the show, which is we have a, a very new test. Now, I'm not sure if you've known Eric, but uh, previous co-hosts have been uh, forced to undertake the Wonderlick test, uh, which was meant to be an aptitude test of 50 multiple choice questions taken in 12 minutes uh, to determine what level of career you could look forward to. Anything from janitor to, you know, rocket scientist, uh, simply based on this one piece of shit test that really measured nothing. Um, but you were given a different test today. Right. Uh, you were given, uh, you and I both took just moments ago, the IDR morality test. Uh, this is the Individual Differences Research Labs uh, morality test. Um, and this is a test of 36 questions, um, or as you pointed out, less questions and more statements. Fewer questions. Well, uh, no, 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 no. It, well, it is fewer questions. I meant, I meant, I meant they, they are less. Uh, it is less that they are questions, questions and more that they are anecdotes or statements. Well, statements you agree or disagree with to varying degrees. Right. So then you were given a choice of, yeah, do you agree? Mm-hmm. Uh, strongly agree or super strongly agree and right. then the reverse or you could sort of stay in the middle with a nothing I just hit the end points what I mostly hit the end points well well I think I think that's really uh, it's really a good place to start because I think how we answer questions like that is really fascinating and and Hitting the endpoints is is not atypical, I think, in our society. We have sort of a binary state, right? Like, if you're rating songs on iTunes, you usually rate a song either five stars or no stars. And that's just sort of what you do. And then then your, your five-star playlist is made up of all the songs you like because they're the only ones that you even took the effort to rate. 
So I, I, I think there's a lot in what you just said about just going for the end points, right? Mm-hmm. And like, it, it, it's, yeah, it's really yes or no. No subtle, I mean, the subtleties seem to, again, not really worth being. Well, can you, uh, if, if you can, um, and, yeah. and I'm putting you on the spot here, but no. could, you, could you recall any question that either lacked subtlety or, or nuance enough for you? Well, to... one that did was the one with uh, if the brother and the sister would have sexual intercourse. So this is one of the most famous questions on yeah. this test, which yeah. is that a brother and a sister choose to use a pill and a condom, basically condom. every method of contraception that they can possibly use, um, because they want to sleep together exactly. for one time just to see what it's like, and then you rate that. So that one you're saying does have a little bit of nuance, something that you would. Yeah, I mean you wouldn't recommend it, but uh, <laughs> necessarily, it is a big staple of Victorian porn. Though. The uh, brother and sister encounters often the first one. Uh, it's usually the governess and the brother, and then it's I mean, the brother you... and the sister, then the cousins, right? And then sometimes the parents, right? Right. Can you very flowers in the attic? Can you recall what you what you scored on that one? Was it in the unfavorable, the favorable? If so, how much? Middle unfavorable. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I was either middle. I think I was probably exactly middle unfavorable as well. Um, I mean, it the, should be discouraged, the, but the, don't flip. To, to 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 give you to give can you, you a, curse in this. One? Yeah. yeah, you can fucking curse. Oh. Um, to give you to give you a scaler. My first question was about a homeless person asking Jim for money, and Jim turns to the homeless person and says, "Like, get a job, you fucking loser," or something. And I scored that one as a the most unfavorable. So I find that more loathsome than a brother and sister having sex Absolutely. once once in their lifetime. Again, just for full disclosure and I transparency. Mean, that shit happens to me all the time. I hate it. I feel like, oh, hey, I'm a human being too, man. Yeah, well, fuck you. Keep your fucking money, scumbag. Um. So so anyway, uh, this test, uh, while while not only fun, it it uh, unlike the Wonderlick, which gives you sort of a hey, you got this score, you're a janitor. Um, this one is uh, scored much more like the uh, Myers Briggs in that it gives you sort of a spreadsheet of different things that you rank on. So well, for example, yeah. um, the things you can rank on are uh, care, fairness, loyalty, authority purity liberty and then they can also uh grade you as far as left liberal conservative and libertarian um so uh just to give you a sense my strongest uh moral foundation is care not surprising being a teacher and my morality is closest to that of a left liberal yours eric danger uh your strongest moral foundation was fairness and your morality is closest to that of a left liberal. Now, again, this is the first time we've taken this. We we really have no notion of its of its accuracy or or, or of what what this has been used for in the past. Um, it came to us from a story that we'll get to in a moment. But Eric, do you feel that that's fair? Uh, a, a fair depiction of yourself that you you hold fairness up highly and that you also lean to that of a left liberal. I'm certainly uh, 
out of those choices, obviously. Not the liberal, but the left. <laughs> well, again, again, that's their wording. But we'll, you know, this we'll, is we'll quibble version. with that all day. They have uh, older. I mean, uh, it was always interesting to me that uh, when they uh, contrast the f- how women answer questions like this to uh, men, okay, and, and that men usually go for the more abstract moral rule, okay, and women measure the specific uh, effects on individuals as the basis for determining it. So, does it seem to hurt a person or huh. not? Versus, does it uh, correspond? Does it comply with some abstract moral? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I think what they mean by left liberal and care is probably along those lines too. That so you're saying you, I I answered you, the questions the way a woman would answer the questions, right. yeah. like having like having a an, an an ovum, right? Yeah, right, like. Like right, ovaries, <laughs> a pair of ovaries, a real pair of ovaries. Um, no, but that's interesting. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, again, I'm, we haven't read anything about this whatsoever, except for the one article we're going to bring up. But I'm, I'm sure, um, statistics on the way men and women answer questions in these abstract kind of scenarios, like you know, uh, ethics, ethics and morality tests of you know various natures do come back with really yeah. interesting results I'm, I'm and it sure probably changes are. over time as the traditional oh, family and sexual changes. relationships evolve oh yeah yeah no joke but uh yeah but morality should i mean it, it's a flexible standard it of course should be. it is it's like absolute morality is rooted in fear i mean you have certain absolutes i suppose right. but but if that determines your world view then uh it's not truly morality, is it? Then it's, right. uh, it's 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 another quality. Well, like loyalty, I guess that's what they mean by the appeal to authority. I don't know. I think, but they, I, think I, I, I think put high an appeal to authority because it's just you don't reject it either. You know, be, just because it's authority. I mean, it might be a correct authority mm-hmm. in some cases and incorrect in others. Well, if it's a totally fear-based thing, I think, like you're saying, I think that that stops being morality and but, that but, but absolute, that starts being just self-preservation. Does... That's just uh, just survival then, you know. It's a f- yeah. I mean, traditionally you say it's a fear, fear. Of, a chaos, a uh-huh. fear of the unknown, that right. it's you know, sort of a repression of disorder that threatens the structure of the ego, that sort of thing. So this is where this uh, this uh, test comes to us from, and and uh, Eric Danger has been given no previews for of the Gestapo, our discussions right? today, except no for application this. for the Gestapo. No, I don't. I mean, no, no, no. I no, no, no. I'm not saying. I'm not saying the origin of the test oh. itself. I'm just saying the only reason I even know about it is from this story, which comes to us from the Columbus Dispatch as of uh, September seventh. Uh, bizarre morality test gets Hillard teacher suspended. A Hillard City Schools high school teacher gave her language arts class a morality test that started with a thought-provoking question and went on from there to get more disturbing. The test starts out with provocation and thought-provoking scenarios, and students were supposed to decide which ones were acceptable and which weren't. A man refuses to cooperate with police during a traffic stop. Women demand entry into an all-male private club. Someone calls a homeless man a loser. Um, Blah, blah, blah. But the questions on the online test that a Hillard City Schools high school teacher gave her language arts class went on from there to get more disturbing. 
A man kills a baby rabbit with a knife on a live TV show. A brother and sister decide they want to sleep with each other just once to see what it would be like. Um, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> when Todd Sandberg's 10th grade son started discussing the online test given to him in class Wednesday, Sandberg thought parents needed to know about it. So he described the incident on a Facebook page for Hillard residents, setting off a public frenzy. Because that's always what you should do when your son tells you something in confidence is put it on a Facebook page. That's exactly the right move. Uh, Todd Sandberg, you fucking dumbass. But anyway, continuing. My job was to point it out, Sandberg said Thursday. It was clearly evident that it's out there in the public. The public eye is aware of it. I knew it was going to cause a firestorm. The district responded Thursday, uh... The district responded Thursday that it had placed the teacher on administrative leave while it investigated the test. District spokeswoman Stacy Ratterman said the quiz dealt with ethical dilemmas. Uh, responding to a dispatch request for any personnel and discipline files regarding the incident, the district released a suspension letter to Sarah Gillum dated Thursday, placing her on paid administrative leave until further noticed. Um, blah, blah, blah. It goes on from there. Uh, Gillum, 35, who was hired by the district as an English teacher in 2007 when she was named Sarah Mandish, teaches at Hillard Bradley High School, her personnel file shows. Uh, Last night, we were made aware of a classroom activity that should never have taken place, the district said in a written statement. We absolutely share the outrage of our parents and our community. Um, Anyway, this thing goes on to talk about how she was suspended and basically let go because she gave her 10th grade students this test which um you know agree or disagree is kind of stupid i actually think what what wound up happening was uh she likely just read the results of all their exams and realized that they were the most immoral bunch of subhuman pieces of garbage that she had ever had the misfortune of teaching and while placed on leave, probably just decided to get a new fucking job because why would you ever teach high school in 2018? Maybe, yeah. I, I mean, I can't imagine anything more soul-crushing than that. You um, hear a lot of stories like this, of this kind of... Um, <clears throat> right, I mean, you can't broach anything controversial or... Anything edgy at all. Well, and it's funny because I, I, I find that in that story there's a distinct absence of any acknowledgement from the administration whether or not they knew she was giving this test. It doesn't sound like something that she just did on a whim, right? She gave it out basically on the first day of her English class in 10th grade. I suspect she's been doing this for a few years now, and I suspect at some point she probably got clearance for it. Um, but again, they, they didn't acknowledge that at all. They also didn't say they didn't know what she was doing. They just said, we find this reprehensible, so we're going to put her on suspension and you're never going to hear from her again. What's so reprehensible about it? I, 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 I don't know. I, what do, I mean, well, I think that's, that's thought provoking. Exactly. Well, just like you said, but anything that is thought provoking, anything that is challenging or viewed as anything that's challenging is viewed as outside the norm and anything outside the norm is viewed as, uh, you know, a danger to <laughs> Well, you think the parents Public are in the conservative area? Where was it? Columbus, Ohio. So that's... I mean, it's purple. goes back and forth, I guess, right? It's a swing. I don't know. I guess. Yeah. I guess. Um, from that on to, on to a yeah. much funner topic that I know, Eric, you will have 
a lot of personal insight into. Um, this coming to us from Popular Science. Scientists finally confirmed that Uranus is surrounded by fart clouds. Did you hear about this? Methane? Is that... <laughs> I, I guess sulfur? I guess scientifically. But, you know, I thought you would appreciate the, the construction of that headline as a... I didn't see that. As a joke. Oh, you Oof. didn't see this. Fart no. clouds. You'll really enjoy it. Sometimes science simply confirms what you, on Uranus. what you already... And it works with Uranus. <laughs> yeah, it works with Uranus, exactly. <laughs> but who, did, who is farting? I didn't know there were that many people. Uh, maybe ha- there aren't. Maybe it's, just, maybe it's just one guy. I mean, so maybe he's got a problem. Uranus himself. Um, some, sometimes science simply confirms what we already know to be true. You know what I'm talking about. Researchers will find evidence that losing sleep makes you cranky and bad at your job, that eating lots of vegetables is good for your gut, or that Uranus is surrounded by a noxious fart cloud. Indeed, the new findings on the latter, published in Nature Astronomy, comes as no surprise to those who have spent time close, uh, closely examining Uranus. More than a year this ago... not real. No, it's totally fucking real. More more than a year. No, they're just working a lot of puns into a real scientific article. More than a year ago, planetary scientists told Gizmodo's Ryan F. Mendelbaum that the essence of this ice giant's scent would probably be dominated by ammonia and hydrogen sulfide. See, it's not methane. It's not methane the way we thought. Oh, but yeah, why sulfide. do cows fart methane? That's what we always see. It's a global warming. Yes, yeah. Methane is a global is a greenhouse gas. But humans not. Do is is human it's sulfur? Oh, really? Sulfur is human farts are sulfur, not methane. Well, I mean, I have researched farting. That's fine. Yeah, I'm sure. Are we ready for... Let's do it. What? Yeah, what's the research on farts? Well, I was just, uh, you know, there's an age-old conundrum, like, why do the farts that you can smell are the ones uh, that you don't hear, and the ones that you hear don't smell? Right. So this is, uh, I've looked a long time, but I mean, mostly, all the farts that you can hear are mostly air, so they seldom smell. Okay. And the ones that, you know, it's a buildup of air, which is big enough buildup to create a, a, you know, that popping sound. But uh, but the little, you know, slippery farts that you don't know who actually did it. Yeah. That's a gas fart from, uh, you know, caused by bacteria in the gut. But, uh, so, but. Most so, people so, don't realize the air, you know, they had the, the Belgium guy that was the farthest. I mean, he could uh, suck air into his anus. Okay. He could suck water. He started in the army by sucking water and then uh, propelling it with his anus across the room. And then he started doing it with air, and then he learned to play Mozart with his asshole. I mean... And made a good just, living at it. Just shooting water across a room with your anus is the truest art form. But then, when you're going to, you know, copy the the great the classics, he I could mean, play. A, he could play like a three part harmony. It's really next with level one genius. Asshole. I mean, you want to talk prodigies? That's one right no, there. He's one of my heroes. <laughs> it's just safe to say he's all of our heroes. Like, wow. But wait, so so when you're talking about your research on on silent but deadly and on on noisy but uh, not smelly, uh, that's obviously referring to just 
human gas. Uh, but, That's human but what, gas. But what, but what 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 do you have to say about about cow farts? Uh, do they make noise? Are they smellier than humans? Uh, what what do we know? What do you know? <laughs> I think we're thinking very we've, hard about we've this reached, one. <laughs> we've reached the limit of what I really know right there. But, uh, well, you said. Well, you I said, don't know. I mean, can you can do you hear car? I mean, when you're driving by, you can't really hear them, especially if you're in a, a Subaru, an old Subaru. You <laughs> yes, when can't you. hear shit. <laughs> Fuck you. But uh. Well, I don't know. I mean, but it's methane. That must be because uh, they're the, the eating the grass. I well, they're eating grass. They're eating they're, grass, which which certainly has a. I don't know if their farts know, smell or not. Ours, but they also have four stomachs. I I think their digestive process on the whole looks fairly different. You know from what ours. a cat, an animal with four stomachs is called? No, what? A ruminant. Okay. Because they have, they vomited up oh, from each stomach, cud. and then they go right. back. So all these expressions right. to say someone is chewing their cud means that they're talking sort of aimlessly. Right. So to ruminate, which is to sort of overthink a thing, also oh, comes from ruminant. Oh, that is interesting. That is interesting. So, Language is endlessly fascinating, unlike... The far clouds. It is. I, oh, I agree. What causes the clouds in Uranus? You skipped over the. Uh, I didn't skip over. We just decided to go off in a much more interesting direction, and I think it was a like a worthy tangent. Back. I mean, we're gonna we're, circle back. Yeah. We'll circle back. Uh, all right. So so uh, moving on. Still, scientists had never directly detected the presence of these stinky molecules until now. That is. The authors of a new study examined sunlight bouncing off Uranus as captured by the 8-meter Gemini North Telescope in Hawaii. Scientists determined what sorts of molecules were inside the atmosphere by examining the light it reflected in infrared. Different compounds absorb and cast off different wavelengths of light, creating a distinct and in, uh, identifiable signature if you know what to look for. Think of it as, well, blah, blah, blah. Okay. This group says they were just barely able to detect the signatures they sought. It took a telescope as sensitive gem as Gemini in conditions as clear and perfect as those found at its home on Mauna Kea. Even though no one has ever smelt it, scientists can now say they, uh, with certainty which molecules have dealt it. Now, quote, now thanks to improved hydrogen sulfide absorption line data and the wonderful Gemini spectra, we have the fingerprint which caught the culprit, study author Patrick Irwin of the University of Oxford said in a statement. I mean, I just want to pause here to say that I, I really suspect that as much as this is a scientific study uh, in that they're, they're doing everything the right way and they want to actually get real results, this is also, in, in my estimation, really what scientists live for. They live for really stupid fart jokes and i mean i mean like what we knew about stephen hawking was stephen hawking was like like a degenerate like playboy addict like he he loved his playboys and 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 would would bet uh bet friends like oh yeah i bet i'll solve this theorem before you i'll bet you like a year's subscription to playboy like because you know at, at his heart he was just a you know a man child in a very tricked out wheelchair um but even, i mean smart as they are they're, they're, even they're they still after they too. covered up the breasts uh recently, well no 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 i'm i'm sure he got he a, died, i'm sure right? he got he, rid of 
he died recently. He died recently, but he he was still alive when they went uh, non nude. Um, yeah. I'm sure he got rid of his subscription before then. That was that was yeah, terrible. that was a dark time. Dark, yeah, dark. Well, they they went nude again. I think is my understanding. They went back. To they nude. went back, but they're also they're also I believe getting rid of their whole operation because you know magazines have no profit margin whatsoever these days but anyway I, I don't off know. topic but all scientists, i read was the uh, interviews you know, right but scientists are you know they're they're big fucking dorks and they they love goofy shit like this so like he's loving the fact that he gets to read we have the fingerprint he gets to write we have the fingerprint which caught the culprit the culprit of i mean again farts um so the so how does that reflect on i mean is it true that he who smelt the Delta, does that shed any light on that conundrum? Is that I I I do we accept that theorem? He who smelt the Delta is not true at all. It this I mean does I know from personal say, experience I've smelt it and I didn't Delta, so I mean This does not say well, right, but you've so, also I mean, we've also all been in situations where we've smelt it and dealt it. But it doesn't right. make any sense. They should have had that on that test. There's four people in a car. Uh, you know what? All of a sudden, a smell like you, you think you're approaching Uranus. Right. And uh, does, do you say anything? <clears throat> or do you, like, most covertly you know what? try to you could, open the window without drawing attention? You to could get rid of that whole fucking 36-question test and, and just, just make it this one that. question. It is one question. It it's is literally it is your, It's literally the human essence. It is you're in a car. You know for a fact that you did not pass gas. Okay. But now you're smelling something. Okay. This, and then this. and then your options are what do you do? What right? do you do? Do you do you finger somebody else? Do you proclaim that you smell something? Finger do you sit there in else. silence? Yeah, finger somebody What's else. What's the connection like, between Farting and fingers. I'm not talking That is about... really gross. <laughs> Come on, what kind of interview is it? I knew, I knew you would take it. Finger, there. but uh, um, do you do you sit there in silence and hope that like nobody else says anything? They, or that you, it doesn't are you come worried back to you? that they suspect of you? Of course, right. So you want or do to you absolve... jump out of the fucking window knowing that this won't end well? <laughs> big... Do you steer into oncoming traffic? I, if I've you're the never, I've, I've really never seen a satisfactory answer to this question. <laughs> It's rarely addressed. Never. It really should be brought up far yeah. more. <laughs> now, once I was test driving a, a Subaru with a guy. You okay. know, he was trying to sell it. This is my. Mo- were you actually planning on buying this, or did you just want no, to test we, drive a Subaru with a with, no, a, with we a brother were, we were of test, the, the no, cult? No, we were responding to um, advertisements okay. for used Subarus, and, I, and uh, we were driving around, and you know. I guess because I had to be up by the crack of noon, so my digestive system was a, askew. And okay. I, you didn't hear it, but it was a bad fart. So you're so you're in you're and in the he, car with a complete stranger. You're in the car. You're in somebody else's car. You're in a stranger's car driving around, and and you passed, he refused to sell it to me and you I, passed a silent one that he and did you say he rolled the window down and make a cranking motion was it really a crank window yeah, on this Subaru that you were on. trying to buy it was an old uh, I mean, no I guess it was a lesson. I think it was probably a button yeah, 
I hope so. Push the lid open. Otherwise, you were trying to buy like a 1953 Subaru. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, um, I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take uh, the briefest of pauses right there. When we come back, uh, we're gonna have the the snack report. Um, we're gonna have a couple of stories on uh, math or maths if you're in the UK. And uh, and then we're gonna finish strong here with uh, Eric Danger. So uh, we'll see you on the other side. now folks uh i am gabriel zuger your host as always uh joined again by eric danger danger ready for his very first snack report now eric uh as as with all our co-hosts has been given the opportunity to dip his head deep into the snack bag and he's picked out a doozy for us today would you read the title what these fuckers are called that you picked out so graciously Starting with the brand? Or? Sure, yes. Brand brand recognition is very important here, so we, we would highly encourage that you recognize the uh, fine efforts of the Wise Corporation. Go ahead. Wise, since 1921. <laughs> okay. And these taste like that's when they were manufactured. <laughs> no, cheese waffies, cheese waffies, which is a waffie is a, a derivative of waffle, one assumes. Right. And they are made with real cheese. Right. They are delicious, deliciously crispy. Yep. And they're in the category of cheese sandwiches. Right. And actually, but the warning, the product is enlarged to show <laughs> texture. So, so then, then as, as you've described them, these are uh, what amounts to a waffle cracker uh, that is uh, sandwiched with uh, a hefty helping of what appears to be some sort of a freeze-dried cheese in the middle of them, correct? Uh, I haven't opened them up, but I could. Well, They're uh, very uh, sticky. Uh, oh, a, look at that. He actually opened it up like, like, a, very, like a fucking uh, Oreo. He just twisted it's the like top It's like an off. Oreo. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that if you compare the actual cheese waffle to yeah. the image on the package, yeah. it's precisely the same. It hasn't been enlarged at all. Oh, so they say it was enlarged and for it wasn't. texture, there but, must it, but be it really wasn't. It must be some legal thing. So yeah, I'm sure that's the case with all their products, because I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure the left hand isn't talking to the right, and the people who make the cover legal probably have no idea... Right. Um, you have legal and you have creative. Legal right. and creative right. don't always get along. Right, 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 right. Um, it's, so it's a f- structural antagonism. So right? he's he, you've you've taken apart your your cheese waffy or wafy. It appears you've now, to be a processed, a processed of it. But, a processed cheese product. <laughs> would you would you care to? It's uh, artificially colored to match the. It's exactly the color on the packaging. Right. So. Right. 
It's not it's found a in very, It's, it's a very orange. Um, and I mean, as we know, all orange cheese is actually dyed orange. It's not a naturally occurring color in cheese. They just make it that way because... What? Yeah. There's no orange That's cheese. Not that what? is absolutely true. No. Yes. What do you think the difference between white cheddar and orange cheddar is? There's no difference. It comes the... off a different tree, I thought. <laughs> it, it comes tree. out of a different udder. Um, but no, they, they just dye it that way because they think Americans are stupid and that they'll like things that are colorful. Um, I mean, I'm sure it came, I'm sure it comes from, um, who am I thinking of? Uh, Bernay, uh, Bernays, what was his name? Bernays. Bernays. I'm sure it comes from Bernays. He was like, "Listen, Orange women, women will buy shit that's pink, and if you put it at eye level, people will buy more of it, and if you color cheese, they'll eat more of it." I mean, he was just a fucking genius that way. But so I've now heard you crunch into the microphone, so that tells me that you're ready to discuss the actual textures and flavors involved in your cheese wafy. Talk to me. What's it like? The first thing you notice is there's not enough fucking cheese in there. There's not enough cheese in there. There's not enough fucking right. cheese. And like, you should take cheese off. It should be, it's not wafies. Waffies. Whatever you want, whatever you want it to be. Okay. Waffies. Waffies. Don't bite my head off just because there's not enough cheese in there, okay? No, but you're, you're, aiming, you're aiming your aggression at the wrong. You wrong brought me on here and you said <laughs> we're going to eat a snack. And it's like half of it's not fucking there, man. Yeah, I understand. No. Listen, it's like the a snack report with... is, is, it's not even a 50-50 gamble. It's pretty it's much a 95-5 gamble that you're not going to like what you eat on the snack report. Um, but tell us more. So there's not enough cheese. What do you think of the cheese? Um, really considering the I mean, I'm a big um, fan of... Um, Processed cheese, you know. Sure. Like uh, as many are cheese steak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chopped cheese. How about you know? singles? You know, like craft singles. They're very handy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. So right. yeah. It's so a, is this meeting that? <clears throat> is this sating that 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 feeling that you have for processed cheese or no? Because it doesn't sate mine, right? For me, no. It should be more. It's, it should be more like an Oreo that proportion. I agree. Also, you're that saving texture, money on the fucking. They're saving a lot of fucking money. How much yeah. is this mother? Look at it. Two two ninety nine and no I don't fucking cheese. Dollars for it, but uh, that's what it says on the back. You should steal this bitch. Well, will you? Last last question uh, before we get last to our final question. Review. Will you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Will you talk to me about the the cracker, the 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 waffy? Yeah, the waffy is definitely crunchy. Yeah, it definitely seems like fresh and crunchy. Yeah. Yeah. No, you no, that's satisfactory. Okay. But you wouldn't just buy that with a hinting. You now, if it said waffy hint of cheese. Oh no, no, no! You, no, Eric, you think you're, you're, you're gonna absolutely right. If I it had seen a bag right of rice waffies, I would have turned the other way. That would do right. nothing for me. I wanted and what cheese does it say? waffies. With so much cheesy flavor in every bite, wise cheese waffies are for serious cheese lovers. You know what's really fucking stupid? So that's wrong. That's just plain. 
well, Trumpian. Especially, especially the way that's written. I yeah. mean, these things look that's like they're from. Misleading. These things look like they're from before the Trump era, which is what's sad about them. Is I think these things have existed for a long time and they've just always stunk. But I've never seen them before today. Um, but you know what's really sad about these is that based on that description about so much cheesy flavor in every bite, you would think that the waffle itself would be a cheese base, right? That there would be like some hint of cheddar in each waffle no, as you... well as a cheese sandwich. But instead, they it have these completely bland waffles. Well, I know, cook, but they have why these... Why would you do that if Oh you... my God, why would you do that? Because meat is the new bread, you know? If you can have a sandwich where, you know, chicken is the bread and meat is in the middle, why wouldn't you have that? If oh, you could have a sandwich cheese. where cheese is in the bread and it's also in the middle, wouldn't you want that? I mean, that's basically... When you have a grilled cheese sandwich, that's basically what that is. Because you've put butter into the bread, right, to fry it. And then you've put cheese in the middle. So it's a dairy-soaked sandwich with dairy in the middle. So, again, I'm just saying, uh, this is this is mainly what the Snack Report is for, is to advise snack companies how to improve their fucking gambit here. Because well, this is not working, and you've been selling this since 1921, and it's stunk for the last almost 100 years. A century of fucking garbage coming out of Weiss. That sucks. I mean, I'm just saying. So we should put that. That would be very bad on the on the scale. This would be very bad on the, on the IDR morality. Not what yeah. they purport to be. I agree. I agree. Very bad. Well, so, you know, the, the thing about the snack report um, and, and about snacks in general is that they're not an exact science. We wish they were, but they aren't. But... Our next story is about exact sciences, okay. and it's about it's about the universal science, which is math. Math. Yeah, math. What were you gonna say, Melville? No, is Melville the universal no, science? Whatever. No math. <laughs> math is one of my one of your I, loves, right? I did. I you know I did okay through algebra, but after that. It, Sort of went to hell. Well, this one's not so much about us solving problems. Yeah. It's about appreciating others solving not problems. Right. Philosophically. So conceived. so so imagine this. Imagine this. Think about you you recall the premise of goodwill hunting, right? Um a janitor can do math. A janitor can do math. That's exactly the entire movie of Goodwill Hunting. So you you're also aware then that there are these like unsolvable problems out there that mathematicians are like banging their heads against walls <coughs> for generations trying to solve. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes, so, uh, all right. So, I have two true. stories. I have two okay. stories for you on this okay. topic. Okay. So, the first one comes to us from the Guardian. Okay. The British Guardian. The British Guardian, and uh, it says sixty-year-old maths problem partly solved by amateur. An amateur mathematician has made the first breakthrough in more than 60 years towards solving a well-known maths problem. Aubrey de Grey, who is more widely known as a maverick biologist intent on extending the human lifespan, has taken the academic world by surprise after announcing a new solution to, a so to the so-called Hadwiger-Nelson problem. The problem sounds deceptively simple, and we're going to spend a large portion of this just discussing the problem, you and I. The problem sounds deceptively simple, but despite some professionals spending years trying to crack it, progress has stalled since shortly after the puzzle was first posed in 
Quote, literally, this is the first progress in more than 60 years, said, Kali- Kal- uh, said Gil Kalil, a mathematician at Hebrew University of Jerusalem. The problem is as follows, so listen carefully. Imagine a collection of dots connected by lines. The dots can be arranged in any way at all. The only rule is that all the connecting lines must be of equal length. For instance, in a square, the diagonal would not be joined up because it would be too long, but the outer edges would be. Now, color in all the dots so that no two dots, uh, so that no two connected points have the same color. How many colors are required? Okay, so you got it? You didn't specify the amount of dots, did you? You don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to. So I'm going to go further. For a square, the answer would be two. There would be two colors so that no no connection would be touching the same color on either end. But the Hadwinger-Nelson problem asks what the minimum would be for literally any configuration, even one that extends across a plane of infinite space. I mean, it's basically like a math problem that takes place in all dimensions, and you have to guess what the minimum, or answer, what the minimum number of colors would be. So that there's no contiguous. So, right, right. Um, <laughs> do you care to wager a guess? For each line? <laughs> you mean, the lines are for all of the same length. The lines are all the same length. Well, why is that specified? It seems irrelevant to the problem. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going on for a little bit. Just uh, we'll we'll see if it gets any clearer. Shortly after the problem was first suggested, mathematicians established that the number of colors needed was somewhere between four and seven, but then progress came to a standstill. In a paper entitled "The Chromatic Number of the Plane Is at Least Five, posted to the Arvix website. Arziv website for scientific preprints, DeGray has narrowed the window. The biologist said he was astonished to make the breakthrough after working on the problem for only a few weeks. I've toyed with the cool open maths problems all my adult life, but this is the first time I've made an advance, and I'm 55, he said. It'll probably be the last time, too. DeGray based his configuration on a shape called the Moser spindle, a pattern comprised just Uh, comprising just seven dots and 11 edges, which requires four colors to meet the conditions. When this was fused, along with other configurations, into a huge pattern of 20,425 dots, he showed that it could not be colored using just four shades. Using a powerful computer search, he then replicated the findings with a smaller configuration of 1,581 dots. So I'm now going to show uh, Eric uh, some of the images that were created using uh, DeGray's solve of this thing. So basically, again, this is the first advance made in a problem posed over 60 years ago, closer to 70 years ago now. Um, But again, this is by no means a solution. It's not even fucking close to a solution. We used to think we in the math community, that the answer was somewhere between four and seven. We now think the answer is somewhere between four and seven, but also at least five. 
That's all this guy has added to this problem. And it's like the math world went fucking insane and lost their minds when he decided this. <sighs> again, insane very... <laughs> with, with pleasure? Or with... Again, it's, well, again, it's just, it's very goodwill hunting. It's like, really? What, what did happen here? Really? What was the significance of any of this? Like... There's somebody created a problem that can't be solved. And, you know, to some people, I think they'd look at that problem and say, that's the beauty of this. It can't be solved. We're actually never going to know because numbers go on and on. And that's sort of what's amazing. And we're making slow gains in this effort, in this completely futile effort. Um, slow and not so steady gains. And, and again, that's uh, somehow noteworthy. I don't know. They see a lot in it. I mean, they have, um, you know, there's math, but they seem to be guided by elegance, concepts of elegance and beauty. Like I've, I've spoke to a mathematician at the school and he, mm -hmm. and he said, look, he showed us a formula. He said, that's the most beautiful thing in human history, that formula. Mm -hmm. And I said, why? Why? What's sure. so beautiful about it? And um, he was insulted by the question. It was so self-evident to him. <laughs> well, that, you know, I, I think that, that that's... That was a mathematician with a lousy fucking attitude. I was going to say, I think, I think that's so sad because yeah, here, it's here's... It's a good faith here's, question. Here's one person... And he felt like yeah, I was yeah. mocking him, here's, but... Uh, here's one person finally showing genuine interest in what the fuck you care about and think is beautiful, and the first response you have to them is to take defense yeah, that's very defense that, that really shows how i think uh fragile and and insecure the right. whole field must be about exactly what we're talking about that that very few people can recognize what what does happen in an equation right that like the ones that we're talking about um yeah i mean you have to know what everything represents at a minimum but, right but um yeah, that's but it's weird about math is because they you have that sense of elegance, but then you also have the sense that it's an accurate description of reality, the ultimate description of reality. Right. So those two don't always play together so well. Like you have Gödel's theorem is the only one that's that I you know paid any attention to because it's. What's Gordel's theorem? Gordel, G-O-D-E-L. This is a, like a, a mathematical paradox. Okay. That, and it comes to attention because uh, philosophers have, uh, especially like French, you know, um, French theorists, uh, a lot of people have uh, converted into a sort of unknowability theorem. That oh, it really means that no system, as far as I understand it, uh, the mathematicians say the philosophers misinterpret the theorem, but you know, is that a a, a rules-based system always starts with some arbitrary determination that cannot, in itself, then be justified by the system? That's how it was popularly understood, uh -huh. and so you could apply it to discourse. Sure. That all discourse has this irrational, arbitrary, arbitrarily rule irrational starts, rule. Right that the discourse itself, is, you know, it does seem to be what Derrida was, you know, working with that sort of, yeah. that model, but um, 
to some extent, but um, yeah, but it, I, this particular thing, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, um, you know, why it should be theoretically unsolvable, or is it? Um, I don't know, but I, I, I really only gave us that one to, to yeah. lead into the next one, and, yeah. and I think you've done so very nicely, because I, I think there's a, a, a lacking elegance in this one, in that we haven't come any closer, and there there really isn't anything sort of underlyingly interesting about this, um, but this next one does have some of that semblance, and I think your your mathematician friend or frenemy uh, at school will, will certainly appreciate this one. Uh, this from Insider. Uh, top mathematician says he solved the single most important open problem. In math I thought the other one was a single years. most. I think that was an important problem. This, this one, one, I think you'll you'll agree with with me and and this article is much more important than that stupid one. Uh, one of the world's most renowned mathematicians showed how he solved the 160 year old Riemann hypothesis at Electron Monday. And he will be awarded one million dollars if oh. his solution is confirmed. Oh, Sir Michael Atia, yeah, there's money in this. Damn it. Sir, it's like it's like the Nobel. Sir Michael Atia, who has won the two biggest prizes in mathematics, the Fields Medal and Abel Prize, took the stage at the Heidelberg Laureate Forum in Germany on Monday to present his work. To solve the hypothesis, now here, so here's the important thing: to solve the hypothesis. You need to find a way to predict the occurrence of every prime number, even though prime numbers have historically been regarded as randomly distributed. Uh, so every prime number to infinity. Um, Atiyah's solution will need to be checked by other mathematicians and then published before it is fully accepted, and he can claim the prize from the Clay Mathematics Institute of Cambridge. The Ryman hypothesis is one of seven unsolved Millennium Prizes from CMI, each worth one million to the person who solves it. Um, so a little bit more on the problem. The Ryman hypothesis was first posited by Bernard Ryman in 1859. It attempts to answer an old question about prime numbers. The hypothesis states that the distribution of primes is not random, but might follow a pattern described by the equation called the Ryman zeta function. 10 trillion prime numbers have been checked and are consistent with the equation, but there is no proof that all primes follow the pattern. So not 10 zillion numbers, 10 trillion numbers have been checked. 10 trillion prime numbers have been checked, and they're all accurate, but that's still not, a, not good enough for mathematicians to decide that this is a universally held function. So this guy has gone out to create something that will supersede the zeta, the uh, the the Ryman zeta function. Uh, so the one million dollar prize goes to someone who can prove that the equation applies to all prime numbers. And Atia, using a quote radically new approach to the hypothesis, according to his explanation, thinks he's done it. <clears throat> uh, so then it goes on to talk about how he stood in front of this panel and uh, promised to explain the zeta function and how he applied it radically new new direction uh, in a way that everybody would understand, not just mathematicians, which I think is also obviously the point here um, and probably partly why there's money given out for these things is to draw attention to them 
um, and to the community, um, you know, in, in, a, in a larger way. Again, he's going to have to prove or it's going to have to be tested by others in the field. It's going to have to be peer reviewed before he gets his million dollars. But what are your thoughts on the on the Ryman hypothesis? And uh, how did he do it? Well, we don't know. I mean, unless we watch. I mean, I, I think we can find his video online explaining it. I'm sure it'll make for a great watch later on. And, and uh, we can uh, force those to whom we are related by marriage to sit through it. But I, 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 don't, I don't even know that it's going to be that interesting. It sounds like Ryman already solved this thing 160 years ago and that mathematicians have just been so snub-nosed as to, uh, you know, say Why does like, it sound like that if this guy came up with something new? So. He didn't. He's, he, what, what he, so Ryman already came up with the zeta function that, that you know, he believes proves that they're not random. The, the reason there's any award for this is to, to prove that his proof is already true, to prove that this function works for all prime numbers to infinity and beyond. So, it's I mean, I guess infinity. that does take some proving, but so he had to again, I think after 10 trillion tries, your function is pretty fucking good. Well, apparently not. I mean, it's the factor of infinity. So, um, if you had a closed amount, you know, a closed amount of numbers, then I guess you could uh, produce a rule for it. But it would seem—I don't know—but I would imagine that infinity is a kind of destabilizing concept when it comes to. You could say, well, <clears throat> I don't. I, guess. I don't really know but the I details. It could <clears throat> be along the Look. lines of. Uh, you know, that no accounting of the present can definitively tell the future. Well, this look, let me, a... let me put it to you this way. Why, why is pi such a fascinating figure to mathematicians? Because it's infinite. Well, right, and because you can't ever round it one way or the other, right? right it's right. always, you know, it's always seemingly random enough that there's never enough to to patternize it and and to say well that's it we've sort of rounded it and figured it out but what if you hit a certain point after the first billion and a half numbers you hit a point where every number for the next 10 trillion tries was 6 just 6666666666666 10 trillion times wouldn't you at that point just say okay I guess it's six, and I guess we're rounding this fucker up. It's 3.146. We're done. Wouldn't you say that? Wouldn't I mean, you just probably for, every, because... for everyday calculations, yes, but I mean, not philosophically, no. <laughs> the, the repetition of the digit six would be no uh, guarantee that it would continue infinitely. I mean, so. I think your I think your mathematician friend should should reconsider uh, his his That's, his, right, well, his animosity towards you because that was very well stated. I I, I, I can see well, I mean, the I, argument I, I, there. Yeah. You're absolutely right. No, that's true. That's true. It wouldn't be a guarantee, right? Because that's past, why I mean I was talking no, about this with uh, my daughter. It's recently. no proof of, of future outcomes. It's a right. I mean. I, you know, yeah. I know, if you look at the history of mathematics, the, you know, the idea of probability was extremely important, obviously, and it 
it influenced philosophy and the empiricists too. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, it's like a kind of a reluctance to make metaphysical statements about the ultimate nature of of reality. So I'm, I'm sure, like you know, the mathematicians are sort of. Um, I, I mean, I, don't, I mean, if if they have, you know, that they don't, they can't exclude the future developments based on present patterns mm-hmm. no matter how large they are I would suppose but yeah that's just speculation you'd have to understand more about the details well it's speculation but it's going to do a lot of theory um we're going to take we're going to take a, a a a sharp turn I have zero transition for this one um but the music you could you could cut in some I could cut in some music. I mean, new Bob Dylan. Yeah, <laughs> the the more blood, more tracks, more, more bodies, more highways. Uh, album. Um, yeah, sure. I can I can definitely cut in some music. Thanks here or uh, again. Uh, if if nothing else, the the Dolcrans are certainly a a breeding ground or sort of a brood sow for uh, future podcasters. Um, and you're you're already becoming. Uh, one one in your own right, you know. Bumper with, music. Yeah, it's called bumper, a it's bumper. called a bumper. Um. And we're coming up to a hard break, <laughs> folks. And have I mentioned Herbal Life? <laughs> you haven't you haven't mentioned Subaru in the past twenty five minutes, so I think you might want to get a few more references in there. Um, maybe you want to talk about what we're drinking right now. Um, that's that's actually a pretty worthwhile cause. Okay, well, um, we're drinking, we're partaking of um, of Gabriel's uh, sampler. It's a wood experiment of Jefferson's whiskey. Yeah. Ridiculously small batch. Yeah. It's a wood experiment. Yeah. So you have non-chill. No, they're all non. They're all non-chill filtered. Whatever. But pretty, pretty fun experiment. We yeah. we happen to find out on on again. Toasted oak cubes. Uh, five five different wood experiments by Jefferson, pretty renowned uh, bourbon distillery, um, who decided pairing with somebody, uh, some other, um, some some brewmaster, um, um, to try some different different things. I mean, this is what this is what bourbon and whiskey people this do is all the, the future, time. Yeah. They yeah they try different things and they see what works. And basically, I mean, Jefferson has a ton of pretty out there stuff out already including the jefferson at ocean which as you know is distilled and then put into barrels and put on a tanker that goes around the you know countries between america and south america boat um and so so yeah so they do experimental shit already so basically what i like to think of this as is the 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 failures they want us to sort of look behind the failures uh, and see why they were failures. And I think a, you'll know as we've tried, every as we've tried uh, all five of them at this point, that some of them really do seem to fail. Some of them really do miss on their palate. They're um, thin. Or they're thin in their finish or in yeah, their middle or, you know, they 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 lack in, in mouthfeel or whatever. Um but it's it again. Uh, you know, I'm a sucker for these things, and it, it is interesting because you get to be a, a little bit of a a master distiller yourself and decide what do I like about this? Why would I go forward with this? Why would I abandon this project? How would I tweak it? 
Um, but so we're drinking that, and then to just I think it's like modern alchemy. It's <clears throat> like uh, the same sort of uh, absolutely, yeah. You experience to a sort the, of a the, spiritual the, the ele- it's a spiritual elixir. process for yeah. you. You're obsessed with the transformation from the raw ingredients to Listen, the final would it, product. Would, how how can you? How could anybody look at it as not being a spiritual process when they? It's called spirits. When when it's called spirits, it's literally called spirits. And when they when they uh, fact, ascribe the 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 process of evaporation and the amount lost to evaporation as the angels, angels share. I think the usage of spirits. As alcohol precedes the usage of spirit as a soul, like, yeah, I'm I'm sure you're right. So the whole Christian thing is really uh, like it's just a kind of domestication of the well, um, alcohol, alcohol itself, Dionysian cult. Well, yeah, you're stepping on my world yeah. famous insights. Yeah. <laughs> Christ is a sober version of Dionysus. Yeah. Yeah, historically absolutely. speaking, that's true. But but I was I was I'm sorry I was I was merely and I I was stepping on you and I apologize for stepping on your toes. But I, I was merely gonna take your your own uh, your own theory uh, a step further, which is that alcohol predates all religion and it's the basic, alcohol yeah. predates language, as far as I understand in the uh, in the in the in the history of human evolution. Because yeah. yeah, because without without um, without the fermentation process, uh, our it would be cave nothing to talk about. There'd be nothing to talk about. Nobody would have any social life. No, but our cave dwelling <laughs> ancestors would would have died from uh, drinking putrid still water uh, without having cleansed it through fermentation. I see. Yeah, interesting. But yeah. they didn't have to talk then, about it to do it. They. Just I think it just sort of <laughs> happened. It's like a regular bar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, right, they grunted at it, and then they went out and they tried to beat up a tree and took down well, a animals. Animals discover fermented fruit and they they eat it to get high. And once they get high, man, animals get high. Yes, yes, they do. Off what? Off fermented berries? Like, you're saying? Yeah, like berries. deer. Are deer getting fucked up all over the place? Is that why they're they're spreading coast to coast? Just trying new drugs everywhere they go? I meant more like <laughs> Russian. <laughs> no. Bad joke. No. Um, yes, I don't know which animal. Monkeys, probably primates, or maybe a canine, canine, and um, they learn. Yeah, they because it's like old fruit fermenting on the vine, uh-huh. and they. And once they see, because it's stressful being an animal, like it's a delicate balance between caloric intake and caloric outtake. Right. Like you realize, right. like most animals, by the time they got something to fucking eat, there's like a net gain of like right. one calorie. Right. You know? It's a terrible existence. Right. Well, this is. That's this why is, I, I eat them. It is. It's a terrible existence. This is this is also why uh, wife of the pod Pauline and I enjoy watching uh, Life Below Zero so much uh, about living in the Alaskan bush, because everybody yeah, on the show it. talks about exactly the same thing you just said, which is 
uh, how they have to weigh basically the pros and cons of every hunt on how much, how many calories am I expending and how much am I going to get out of this? And their lives are so stressful as a result, again, by choice, but they're so stressful that it's the most entertaining thing to watch. (laughs) Well, they have one of these uh, first contact situations Mm -hmm. and um, Netflix, but just try, these people came out after... Yeah. Again, they're not Neolithic peoples. They're um, they're people that you know in the Amazons. Most of them, I gather, have fled from the Spanish previously. They had been living in settled communities, and they revert to the hunter-gatherer stage. But they still retain memories of of the civil, you know, the settled mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And the kids, they don't want to stay in the jungle, and they came out. And the first thing they said about it, this is awful. I said. You walk all day. You're just constantly walking to search for food all the mm-hmm. time, and you're always hungry. Right. It's not very pleasant. No, no, no. It's yeah. It's and now it's they're brutal. all fat, fucking obese. They could barely walk. I'm sure they look like basketballs. I'm sure. <laughs> but they don't want to work. <laughs> Just lay around all day. They just want to make lay new around. Netflix specials, right? They just, just, uh, like, just keep coming filming me. Yeah. They won't move except <laughs> until the camera's turned on. Uh, they're they're probably going to be on another show soon. They'll probably be on, you know, like my my seven hundred pound life or something. <laughs> you know, they'll just go completely the other way with it. Could um, be. So I've got two more stories that I I, I think we want to hit, um, and and we'll treat them pretty much as quick hits. But uh, the first one which I, I do think you'll enjoy, uh, comes to us from the uh, Scientific American blog. Um, and it's titled, We Should Teach Media Literacy in Elementary School. Uh, so this is a 2018 story. And I'm going to skip through the preamble of it, which basically goes on to discuss how a lot of modern Americans get most of their news from social media, which may or may not be true, but it's definitely true that enough of them get it that we're talking about it from social media and it goes on to describe a little bit about the 2016 election and the uh, irregularities as far as Facebook and fake news uh, came about Um, but we're gonna dig down into uh, the meat of this thing Uh, it gets good here A recent troubling MIT study revealed that fake news diffused significantly farther, faster, deeper, and more broadly than the truth, with the effect even more pronounced when regarding political news as opposed to reporting on natural disasters, finance, or science. So, I mean, again, not a shock, but it is a shock that this is scientifically provable. I think we've always known this, that like, a, a lie can go around the world in, you know, a second, or a lie, a lie can travel around the world before the truth gets its pants on or something is the old phrase, something like that. But basically, MIT proved that that's the case and that fake news around politics travels a lot faster than anything else, basically, other than the speed of light. It continues, more worrisome. Contrary to the perception that the fake news epidemic is a conception of malicious online news bots, there's evidence that suggests that public, uh, the public actually craves fake news. The same study, as mentioned above, found that online bots were equally likely to propagate both false and truthful information, implying that the fake news epidemic exists because humans, not bots, are fueling it by favoring misinformation. 
Psychologists have speculated that this phenomenon can be explained by humans' inherent need to harmonize their observations with their existing view of the world, a need to avoid what's known as cognitive dissonance. For example, Mark Whitmore, a psychologist specialized in the information psychology, explains the brain is hardwired to accept, reject, misremember, or distort information based on whether it's viewed as accepting of or threatening to existing beliefs. I mean, would you, uh, what are your thoughts on this so far, as far as, uh... First off, I mean, the, the first fake news, like, who determined, obviously, that's such a suspect category, because it mostly seems to be used to say that the me mainstream media has, is the accurate, you know, official, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the objective truth. Right. And everything that departs from that is fake news. Right. So if you don't, I mean, what is your, you have to describe your criteria for differentiating fake from so-called real. And not a question of fake news being I on agree. one side and Completely. on the other side you have all pure news. I mean, you read a New York Times article, you could, there's real and fake in the same article. I mean, I and I, the idea that that, 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 that that I mean, I don't, I don't know. They they talk about fake news as if uh, that was objective, you know, self-evidently clear right. what that exactly would be, which is fake and which is not. Right. But it's not that at all. No, I I agree with what you're saying, and I'm glad you brought it up. It's an important point. <clears throat> I what for for me personally, when I even hear the term fake news, my skin absolutely crawls because one, it's an oxymoron. Right. If it's if it's news, then it is something. Whether it's whether it's real or not is not even up for debate. It's if it if it is news. If you are qualifying it as news, then it is something that has happened. Whether whether it's important or not, whether it valid whether it, it maybe validates. it didn't happen. Well, that's the, but then it then you can't call it fake news and like fake no. news is again it's an oxymoronic term. You shouldn't call it fake news. That's something that Donald Trump or I don't know the right came up with, but it should just be called garbage, right? It should just be called bullshit, right? You call bullshit bullshit, but it, giving it the title of news validates this idea that that news can be real or fake. And that's not the case. News is news. News is a fifth, right? News is, is as the fifth sphere, right? As the public sphere is its own thing. It, it, it is not, uh, you know, on, on an objective level, there's no determination between fake news and real news. Again, if it fits in the category of news, it's just something. It's just something that exists. And it doesn't have a lean or an agenda. It news is news. The, but nothing they, would exist. I mean, that's a, that's a, a false claim of saying, objectivity. No, that, I'm not saying that anything <clears throat> out there is news in that pure essence way. I am saying that there are agendas that are taken, but but you you can't call if something is just a lie. Okay. Now, I'm not saying this has ever happened, but let's say the New York Times just reported a lie, right? Let's just say the New York Times, in one, in one day's mistake, they just reported an onion story, right? They literally put an onion story out there that was just total lies and irony, right? You wouldn't call that news. You would say, all right, that's bullshit. You wouldn't say they reported the news. You wouldn't call it fake news. You wouldn't call it... Anything other than just that's bullshit. 
I, I think The Onion is actually a fairly good example of this. Nobody calls The Onion fake news. The Onion's an entertainment newspaper. Like, it's just something fun to read. But you wouldn't read any article in it and call it fake news. Well, it doesn't purport to be real, so... I mean, fake right, news is news supposed to be... Right, but news doesn't purport to be... It, 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 news is news... Uh, uh, Alright, I, I mean, beyond this, let me, let, me get, let me get a little bit further, just because we, we, we can go back and forth on that all day, and uh, I, I don't even really have a fucking stake in it. Um, but moving on a little bit. As a result, instead of, give, instead of gravitating towards well-balanced, rigorously verified news content... We've developed a diet for self-validating sensationalism, and the social media sector, controlled by a mere handful of for-profit tech firms, is happy to oblige our taste. So again, this is sort of arguing that it's basically our own faults, that as humans, we want things that will, that will reaffirm our existing beliefs and will choose to keep reading the things that do so on a consistent basis more than reading things from varied views that might give us a well-sourced account of what's actually happening. But I'm going to skip down further, much, much further, to what this uh, article is suggesting. suggesting. So what options do we have? Many suggest that addressing the issue by reforming adult behavior is aiming too far from the source. An alternative solution is using early education to help individuals recognize these psychological pitfalls and applying critical thinking to the information they consume. Currently, there's a push in the U.S. to incorporate information, internet information classes into primary and secondary school curriculum. The movement, which has received bipartisan support, aims to make fact-checking seem like second nature to individuals at an early age, so they will be less vulnerable to agenda-driven information sources throughout their life. While the data are still streaming in, one recent study involving 15 to 27-year-olds revealed that media literacy training made individuals less likely to believe a demonstrably false claim, even when the statement was aligned with their existing political view. Legislation centered on the idea was already, has already been passed in states such as Washington, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and New Mexico, with some now offering media literacy courses as electives at select public schools. So what do you think of that? The idea that we're going to be teaching internet literacy. Now, I'll, I'll point out before you even get into it that they didn't make any claim that anybody has even tried media literacy or internet literacy in primary or secondary education. They only talked about high school. Um, I guess that maybe falls into secondary education, but it's not middle school. Um, so they're saying that 15 to 18 year olds can benefit from taking any of these things and becoming more discerning but what would you think about either in high school or even lower teaching this sort of thing it would depend on how it's done I mean there's nothing wrong with fact checking but uh, that's not really um, and that seems to me the more obvious problem like you can check a fact and uh and uh, you know you can you can more or less probably ascertain whether it's generally true or not. But well, I mean, but you can't. I mean, it's it's like very retrograde philosophically after you know all we've been through in the last thirty years to start speaking about truth as if it was a uh, 
you know, not a problematic category and that, you know, that there's a clear differentiation between truth and non-truth that we can then teach to students. I mean, that would be um, philosophically false and then very politically suspect. I mean, they're, and they're just going to end up validating the dominant narrative because it's dominant and, you know, and not even a fake news. Like you can report something that happened, but a lot of details. If you ever went to a saw something happen and then read about it in the New York Times, it's fifty percent fake. I mean, the thing more or less happened, but they generally get about half the details wrong if you've seen it. So, uh, I mean, they're trying to talk about like decept, you know, propaganda well, ca campaigns. I don't know. Well, I mean, if you. What's funny to me about the whole thing, because I ask you this, and I, I, I try to come into most of these articles, you know, as as uh, open-minded as I can, but in this one, I actually come into it very closed-minded, because I don't have any questions, Eric, that at some point in your life, you were taught the difference between a primary source and a secondary source, and you were taught the difference, you were taught how to verify if, you know, something was... Um, something trustworthy right if, if if an author was trustworthy on the topic if there was you know something that made them that made them uh, that that spoke to the accuracy of their claims or not and that you you learned at some point in your education how to judge these things did you not i mean i did and 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 we did before there was such a thing as the internet and, and well, they used to talk about it a lot with TV too. And they used to talk about it a lot with TV, absolutely, of verifying your sources, oh, right? Yeah. And of of questioning questioning the bend on things, questioning the agenda inherent in who's writing it. And that's what's that's what seems to be sort of missing from here. But I also don't think that this is the way that you're saying, I don't think that this is specific to news, right? That's the way it's being talked about now. But just as you're saying, there there's a whole culture of books out there that have spins and, and fake facts in them or statistics that are misrepresented to say one thing over another, right? That, you know, it's... It's it's simply a fact out there that you can make a statistic say anything that you want, and uh, and if you publish it, then somebody will buy it and read it and decide that that's the truth, even if your study is complete fucking bullshit, right? Like right. this thing has been existing long before you know the fake. But it's news inherent, argument. right? It's inherent, but they act as if it's not. Like they it's act as if problem. it's not, right? And they that, act as if it's completely that, uh, generational and it's bullshit. But they they don't know what they're. Which again, you know, to it me came is why why this this whole thing is short sighted to have legislation on this in different states. That's saying, just a We're prelude. gonna teach kids how to read the internet. Fuck you. Teach kids how to you know verify sources and 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 decide for themselves what is you know what is objective, what is scientifically provable, what is an agenda what is somebody's spin and then they'll figure it out when they read the internet too yeah. I mean you have to think what do you do in these situations like I, I read a lot of different sides I get very contradictory accounts of almost everything that happens mm -hmm. um, 
and um, I have to come to a decision to what I find credible or not. So, right. but it takes a lot of uh, knowledge of the uh, patterns of deception, and you know, like if you read something in the New York Times. You think there's you know going to be some factual accuracy to it, but uh, there's certainly things you can't say in the New York Times. Well, and let's say you're a Marxist and you're looking at all social phenomena from a point of view that is absolutely excluded from all media, mainstream right. media. So you're never going, you know, the bourgeois media, as we like to call it. So. It, it becomes you. Whatever you read in the bourgeois media, you take into account as the bourgeois media. It might be useful to it, but you know that they are not going to say that America is a rotten capitalist, imperialist country, you know, striving to take over the world. Well, that capitalism is a you know hugely fallible system. Things is, like that don't enter into it. Right. So if you say that on the internet, is that fake news? I mean, if you see the pattern that all this concern with fake news is being followed by legislation worldwide, I think Thailand recently has something. If you say fake news about the political party, they'll jail you, and they have jailed people. Well, that's where so, we're getting into very it, dangerous it, it, that's territory. That's where it goes, here. right? That's absolutely where it goes. Look, right. look, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, using this, having having heard it from another uh, sister podcast of ours from. The the Chapo Trap House, but fake news wasn't invented in the 21st century. It wasn't by invented by means. Donald Trump. It was actually, uh, it was, it comes to us from, I think, the 18th century, and it was popularized by the Nazi Party, by the, by the no, uh, Nationalist Socialist Party. It predates. It predates. I said it's from the it, 1800s. It yeah. Predates the. 1800s. Oh, maybe it predates the 1800s. But the accusation of fact of fake news, yes, is 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 a, a long held uh, a trope in you know has military American uh, competitive human culture. Go ahead. Well, there's uh, antecedents in uh, military. You know, lying like all. What do they say in war? Truth is always accompanied by a platoon of lies. That mm. famous, but in in military propaganda, there is a highly um, specialized use of fake news. That sure. but it's intrinsic to conflict itself. Oh, all all of all of this is 1984. I mean, if you're I, if you're not looking around and realizing you're living in an Orwellian dystopia, then you're not paying attention. No, right, but, uh, but you have different levels of it. I mean, that they sort of they work Different together. levels of well, hell, Well, you have, like, yes. philosophical... It's always brought up that, the you know, like there's a kind of uh, enlightenment tradition that, uh, you know, esteems reason and factuality and, and objectivity and so forth, and that um, that's the mainstream of the tradition. But philosophically speaking, truth is... Um, it's never simple. It's never. Uh, it, it's always at best an approximation. And then when you have this dissemination of all the media, sort of the philosophical problem is socialized. In, um, in like you, problems of representation and truthfulness and so forth, they become like the everyday life of a media culture, sort of. 
because there's so much representation. It's never the thing itself, it's a representation. A representation always has its own strictures, its own rules. So you're never getting an image of the real per se. You're getting a stylized representation of it through whatever system, you, you know, whatever uh, mediating medium there is. Can I ask you an honest question based based on this discussion and based on uh, no. based on some of the conclusions you just came to? No. You said truth is truth is always truth, and and no, I said it's not truth. Well, is Well, truth always, is not always truth. It's right? never true. It's, it's never true. It's like uh, what um, what Giuliani said: the truth is not the truth. That's the truth. The, he did say that's that. The that's truest, the truest. That was absolutely right, uh, especially yeah. in a legal. I mean, I think the legal Even concept. Even Broken Watch is right two times a day. But the uh, twice <laughs> in a Giuliani's day. case, I mean, not in the truth case. But um, um, yeah, the um, truth. I mean, think of legal. I mean, that's a good. You know, the the model of truth would be what Giuliani is referring to, that it's, it's you know, an adversarial situation. It's not, uh, it's not, nobody's trying to dig out the truth. Well, I mean, Everybody's... the legal, yeah, and the legal case is a perfect example because uh, the American legal system, which I, I think far too few people uh, know enough about because they skip out on jury duty, um, but the, just simply the notion of um, guilty and not guilty, Right, that you you literally can't be found innocent in a court of law because they can't prove innocence, and the truth does not matter. As you're saying, the truth of whatever happened does not matter. What only matters is what can be proved, and you legally. can only legally right. you can only prove either that you did something or that we don't know what happened. Well, so you're not proved innocent because you're not. Pro it's not proven that you didn't do something. It's just proven that. Maybe something else occurred. That's reasonable doubt. Right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it, it's very relativistic. It's and very situational relativistic. Yeah. And, Clearly. And uh, it's if you've been in a jury deliberation, then you know what a, it's a shit show. Right. I'm not always, I mean, I'm sure sometime in the time I was involved, uh, you know, they just wanted to go, and they had like a primitive reaction to it. They didn't remember well, what happened. You know what was said. You know, uh, it's, it's very um, uh, whatever. I, you know, I do. I think I think jury stuff can be can be very unfortunate at times. But it is the uh, it is the general uh, statement of the Dolcrans that we uh, do support. Uh, a jury of your peers and, and think that that will give you the best outcome um, and uh, we do all think you should uh, go in for jury duty it's it's your civic duty and it's uh, it's the right thing to do um, but again I, I want to take you I want to take you to one last place before we go and it's it is based on the idea of truth so I mean while while the news and and, and legally speaking there are very few uh, things that we can ascribe truth to, but uh, you'll agree with me, I, I believe, that it's it's true that zero is zero. Right, Eric? Sounds like a trick question. It's not. It's zero is zero, right? Okay, to begin with, for it, now. Okay, let's, is let's zero let's... ever 50? Zero ever 50? Is zero ever 50? And yes, this is definitely a trick question.
but it's not meant to trick you. It's mostly meant to trick the audience. Uh, on the face of it, you would say no. Okay, you would say no. So this coming to us from uh, News 13 WLOS, uh, teacher says she was fired for giving zeros to <clears throat> students who didn't turn in their work. So this is out of Florida, because we know that Florida is a great bastion of education. For, for and I, giving out zeros? For giving out zeros, and I figured you would appreciate this one. That's so this what is I from do. Port, thank you. This is from Port St. Lucie, Florida. A teacher in Port St. Lucie, Florida, claims she was fired for refusing to give students partial credit for work that is never handed in. Quote, I got fired. I was packing my stuff, and I was not going to see the kids, Diane Torado said. Miss Torado didn't get to say goodbye to her students physically, uh, so she wrote her message on the whiteboard instead. Quote, Bye, kids. Miss Torado loves you and wishes you the best in life. I have been fired for refusing to give you a 50% for not handing anything in. Love, Miss Torado. She snapped a photo of it and shared it on Facebook. Then the message from her 8th grade students started pouring in. Quote, You showed me to be responsible for my work and the things that I do. I hope you don't forget me, one student wrote. Miss Torado has been teaching for more than 17 years. The 52-year-old began working at Westgate K-8 through school this year as an 8th grade social studies teacher. She says she gave her students two weeks to complete an explorer's notebook project, but says some of them didn't turn it in. That's when she says she learned about a no-zero grading policy, written in red in the school's handbook, stating, No zeros. Lowest possible grade is 50%. Torado says she sends the wrong, this sends the wrong message. If there's nothing to grade, how can I give somebody a 50%, she asked. Her September 14th termination letter doesn't cite a specific reason, only stating she was contracted as a teacher on a probation period and that she can be dismissed without cause. A 17-year probation period? No, 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 no. She, this, she, this was her first year at this school. She was a 17-year teacher, but this was her first year at this school. Um, so I'm not going to go any further because nothing else matters in this. Um, but she was dismissed on September 14th. So her first assignment that she gave to students, and she gave them two weeks to submit it, and some of them didn't, and then she was told, you have to give them 50% for not even submitting it. And, and we're surprised when Florida, like is just a bastion of everything horrible in this country. Well, it's horrible what the way they keep firing teachers for, for all these stupid shit, but um, I mean, I presume that 50 would still be F. Right? I mean, it, I've, I work with online grading and you know, automatic grading, so I know you need a grading schema, so whether you designate you could say 50% is F or you could say zero it's just like a, a accounting device you put in a, right but if you you have to put in of a, course it, but if you start if to, you want to do like if I couldn't put in 50% because then it would contribute to I their total grade even though they didn't do the assignment so you either uh, you know de depending how you configure it you put in a zero just right. to trigger the F. I understand what you're saying, but even but so let's 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 presume that that's the case. Then, if that were the case, 
then I'm sure somebody would have explained that to this person and said, this is why we do things this way, because uh, then your, your, your cumulative you know, spreadsheet is going to look as such. And don't worry, this child is still, you know, not going to be given an, a, a B at the end of the year if they hand in nothing. Um, but, but instead, they just, they wrote it in the handbook in all red, which again, is strikes a wrong chord. Um, They're probably worried about the student's self-esteem. Oh, that's not what Florida seems like to me. And what are I they don't, worried about? What do they give a shit? I about? think they're worried. I think they're worried that they would fail too many kids if they. So didn't. fifty is not failing. I mean, you would. No, have... I think that fifty is failing. But I think I think Eric and I'm 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 making my own assumptions. But I think that fifty percent, if you're given if if nothing is handed in and you're given fifty percent, then the minute you hand something in. You can't be given 50%. You can't even be given 40%, Eric, right? Because you handed something in. So so I think that as soon as you hand something in, you're, you're sort of grandfathered to the next level of like a 65. And the idea is that we would have too many kids failing if they were actually graded for what they presented. So instead, we're going to curve them by, by, by guaranteeing them some grade, right? By guaranteeing them 50, we're going to curve the entire state, basically. Now, again, this is Port St. Lucie, so shout-outs to Port St. Lucie. I don't know where you are. You sound like you might be in the panhandle, though, um, and you sound like you might be a piece of shit, um, but I think, that, uh, I think that that's probably district-wide for them. That's definitely not this school just decided to do this. And that sounds like you're fucking jiggering the stats there. Like, you're making shit up. But then when you grade and when you set up grading schemas, you're always doing that. You have to decide, like... Uh, you do yeah, think you about that decide. in the end. You can't you have everybody fail. So uh, it's like on the curve. It's on the curve, right. So and again, I think, and I'm glad you said that because I think what this comes out of is this comes out of, you know, a history of truly terrible academics and truly terrible education in Florida and that they are rigging it in a positive fashion instead of changing their system, right? Instead of improving anything in Florida because as we must always state, Florida is uh, Florida is one of the few states in the country in the union without an income tax. Um, so they're very much failing on a lot of uh, their, their public services. Um, but so I think a history of poor performance in education has taught them that they should rig everything upwards and that they even want to rig it by 50 percent mm-hmm. a zero is a 50 in florida nothing is a 50 sleeping through class and staying home all day to watch the prices right is basically a 50 in florida that's what i'm getting from this article you'd have to know more details about 
what they had in mind. Well, as we've already stated, I mean, the the truth is subjective, and uh, well, do they def- respond to it in the article? Do they explain what their reasoning is? Uh, the last thing we get out of this article is. Um, <clears throat> Her message on the classroom's whiteboard has been shared hundreds of times with messages from other parents and teachers congratulating her on standing her ground. Tonight she's calling for change because she believes the grading policy at Westgate K-12 through won't help students in the long run. And then there's a big Facebook post. Um, quote, I'm arguing the fact that you don't get something for nothing. I want the policy changed, and it's not just here, she said. So again leading to what I claimed that it's not just a school-wide thing, it's probably district-wide. There are no zeros in the grading scale above the, uh, there are no zeros found in the grading scale above the no zeros wording on the Westgate student and parent handbook, which adds confusion, Toronto said. WPEC is still waiting to hear back from St. Lucie Public Schools as of late Monday night. You'd want to see how they justify that, what their reasoning is yeah I don't think they have a justification though and I think that they made a big deal about it they put it in red so yeah it's probably something they discussed oh it's definitely something they discussed but even things that people discuss can uh, come to bad conclusions they could be wrong (laughs) but I'm sure they have some rationale for it yeah again I, I, I think we've I think we've established their rationale whether it's whether we it's, don't know if it's a self-esteem thing or it's some artifact of the grading system that to make it balanced I don't know yeah I don't know like a lot of these things you don't really know well unless you have some access well again I I'm I'm never I'm never gonna believe that this was a self-esteem thing no matter what we find out tomorrow night or tonight or the next day about this case I'm never gonna believe that was Why a self-esteem nobody thing because in hockey y- yeah but Eric Eric you have to still show up for the game to get a participation trophy even if you sat on the bench the whole time you had to show up for the game to get the trophy you can't just stay home and get the trophy these are kids who didn't participate in the game. They didn't. They literally didn't no, do they anything. They, they didn't hand no anything in. They should get a zero. I'm glad you're. <laughs> I'm glad you were with Miss Torado on this. I well, I don't know how do you get just fired. Well, I mean, she fired because she didn't follow the rules. So. Well, right. No, I mean, I I think she probably has a pretty good uh, wrongful firing suit. Uh, again, this being a public grievance. school. Yeah, yeah. If they have a union there, they should grieve it. Yeah, no, I think she definitely has a good case ahead of her, um, and I think they probably. But she made, violated a rule written in red. Than they wanted. Maybe they had some other reason. To right, get rid she of did her. violate a rule. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Um, well. But if she wasn't aware of it, then. Uh, But but even 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 if even not being aware of it, even if she was aware of it, there must be some protocols. If it was written in red, if it was written in the handbook, then certainly there are uh, there are also protocols written in the handbook for violating anything in the handbook. Right. That there would be some some procedure undergone before firing simply for giving zeros. You wouldn't be fired. You would get you would have to have counseling. You would have to, you know, um, so have supervision of some kind, but you you wouldn't. 
on first warning be fired. That's idiotic. Unless they want to get rid of her. Right. For other reasons. Maybe she is B.O. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Maybe unlikely. her farts are worse than that of uh, the gas clouds around Uranus. Uh, yeah. She's full of sulfides. I don't know. You don't know. Could you be anything. You wouldn't know it was really her, would you? Because those <laughs> are the <sides. laughs> That's true. We we also don't know that's if it was her or if, if uh, other people are just fingering her for it. She just That's when she decides to take a trip down the aisle and then <laughs> could be, emanates from the center. I, I, I feel like I've now gleaned all your tactics about uh, relieving yourself in public just from this one conversation. Which is useful to know, because now I can pin it on you anytime. All my I want. farts are air. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do the sulfurous, sulfurous. Ones. You could ask Dominique. I see. So very, very proud vibrato Dominique. on your farts. <laughs> I don't know why. I must have a healthy new. All right. Well, listen. That's, healthy diet. This has been speaking of healthy. This has been a very healthy episode of the Dolcrans. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna say goodbye. For now, folks, and I want to, of course, thank my co-host, Eric Danger, for being here. Eric, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Gabe. Really appreciate it, and uh, hope to have you back soon. You've been a great, great addition, and uh, hope that you will join us again soon, and we'll uh, see you next time. Next time I'll ask you the question. I love it. I love it. We can can swap it up. Later, babe. The Dull Crayons is a free and independent podcast supported by listeners like you. To show us support and keep us free, stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash and write in to us at dullcrayons at gmail.com. Along with our hosts for this episode, we'd like to thank Jesse Katz and Gwen Gallitzer for the theme music and Colin Matthews for the logo.